You know, something about good news makes you feel good when you have such good news. So whether it's little Sam and, and him being well and we get to rejoice over that, or someone turned to the Lord or returned to the Lord, you get to always have opportunities to praise God. And so this morning we have, yet again, even, even more good news. And so I, last week I remember... Um, we had, we've been having septic problems. It's been, been going on around our house, but that part is taken care of, but now the house is ripped up in one corner of it. And anyway, uh, the person who came out to do the pumping, if you will, for the tank, he goes, I am so sorry. I said, listen, I count my blessings that for all these years, we've had <laughs> the ability to use the restroom without having to go back to uh, third world conditions. So I said, as far as I'm concerned, this is just a bump in the road. It's a, so it was really a grateful thing. It's just amazing how the mind can look at an issue that otherwise people would go, oh, this is, life is so hard. Oh, we got it so easy. <laughs> we really do. And then I was thinking about a situation that had taken place recently uh, within a family, within one of our children. And I was thinking about what happens in the life of a parent-child relationship, and I thought the same thing of my relationship with God. How when we are in this world, living how we want, how upset he would be because he longs for us. But when we're reconciled to him, there's nothing better. Really isn't. And I think when you can see where you've come from there is like to whom much is forgiven he loves much right if if you don't feel that you've been forgiven but just a little bit there's a little bit of love i mean jesus even said that to the pharisee when he compared that pharisee to the person who acknowledged himself as a sinner and so we're looking at this passage and josh just read for us out of second corinthians chapter 5 and I'm not so sure if, if for all these years that I've read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that I've missed it. I've read the words, but I missed the import of it. And we're going to look at that this morning in light of this idea, this concept of reconciliation. Well, the whole fact of being reconciled to God is just in and of itself the beauty and the power of God's message of salvation. Did you realize that? That's what we have. We're told, as we look at Scripture and compare that to the ways of this world, how beautiful reconciliation is. When I was in the seventh grade, my best friend, Kui, Kui Aipa, we had been best friends since about, oh, ending of fifth grade, going into sixth grade, and, and we were the closest friends in all of elementary school. <laughs> no one could be closer than us. We did everything together. We played pranks on each other. We did everything to embarrass each other, and we were just the best of friends. And one day, I don't even remember what it was about. Oh, I know. Now I remember. Um, he was trying to cheat on, my, on the test and wanted answers from me, and I was real moral and everything, and so I said no. <laughs> he was upset. We did not talk for four or five months, not a word to each other. Now, best friends not talking, that's just... It just doesn't happen when you're best friends. And the most wonderful event took place. We were in one of our classes, and he had to give um, me a piece of paper. He had to talk to me. 
<laughs> it makes me think of a husband wife making up. But he looked into my eyes, <laughs> and I looked into his, and before he could even pass the paper, we became friends again. <laughs> and the whole class erupted because they knew we were at odds with each other and knew best friends had made up. It was a great feeling. Great, great feeling. Enduring relationships go through moments of antagonism, conflict. And they come out on the other side of our stronger. Because they have a genuine relationship that endures. It's not like relationships come and go and you don't have that true friendship. Where it's, we're good friends until we don't get along and then all of a sudden we never see each other again. Friendships have broken up that way, even among brethren. That's what makes relationships so special found in Jesus Christ because he doesn't give up on us. We may turn our backs on him, but eternal relationships are found in Christ. We're told that nothing can separate us from him. Nothing created can. We know that sin does. But nothing created. And that's where the beauty of the gospel is found in reconciliation. We see this from an earthly standpoint. And we see it even biblically. But what does all that mean? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And so we praise God for that reconciliation. I was just talking to Trish. Asking her, I said, you put on Facebook, you know, God is good. And, and she had said uh, something else that she had made on post along those very lines. And she said, Mitch, I got to see the picture of what happened when I went to court and had the felony charges dropped and expunged and no longer on her record. She said it was like looking at Christ who's standing before the Father as a judge and he says, I'm taking those sins and putting it on myself. She's free and clear. Praise God for that. She said, Mitch, I got to see the scriptures and how it would apply in my situation. And that's right. Hallelujah. I mean, how awesome that you can, can see that and how much greater the appreciation for being reconciled to God. And so when we look at these passages, we see Ephesians chapter 2. You know, here we are, enemies of God, dead in the trespass of our sins. That's what we were told in the first three verses. Of Ephesians 2. And if you go on to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. Look at what he goes on to say here. He says in the passage here. In verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive together. With Christ. It was this gift. That brought forth reconciliation. He went on to say in verse 14, you know, for those before they're in Christ, there was no hope for you Gentiles. No hope. But in Christ, we have that expectation because we've been reconciled to God. And so we're told that while dead, we're as enemies, we have our sins forgiven. And thus we're brought near to the Lord. And this is the ministry that the Apostle Paul was speaking of, of which Josh had just read in 2 Corinthians 5. I want to reread that text, and I want to see if maybe you can pick up where I never did and see if we can understand what Paul is getting at, because this is going to affect the way you live, this information here. Look again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
I want to back up to verse 9. Because we're dealing here from judgment forward. Therefore, the apostle says, we make it our aim. And I believe he's talking about the apostles. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well-known to God. And I also trust are well-known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their sin or trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him that's the word of reconciliation the apostles were preaching to Christians did you hear that the initial word of reconciliation is to the world but he's telling brothers and sisters in Christ be reconciled to him. Do you suppose Christians in the first century had it any different than us today? I mean, if we get into the nitty-gritty, technical, nuanced circumstances, yeah, they, they had lives that were being persecuted to death. We don't have that right now. Not in this county. We have small records, uh, uh, recorded cases of what's taking place for Christians in this country for standing for Christ that may be the nuanced difference, but otherwise, it's all the same. We're no different under the sun. We have the same issues that they do. We have Christians who live for themselves and not for Christ. And what he is saying to Christians is, be reconciled to God, because this is our ministry as apostles to the world and to you. It's a ministry, the service of reconciliation. God wants us to have a good standing relationship has given us that good standing relationship found in Jesus Christ. And that's where we get into the lesson this morning. Why then are we reconciled? And the answer is already found in what I just said and in the passage we just read. To know that we are reconciled is a wonderful blessing for many Christians. But why? 
I want you to go back to the text, and we're going to look at this reason why, because this is so key for us. This is what will help us, I even think, from a theological standpoint, and I'll get to that in just a few minutes. But notice what he says in verse 15. If you back up to verse 14, it says the love of Christ compels us, New King James. New American Standard says the love of Christ controls us. So that we who are reconciled would no longer live for ourselves. Excuse me, I forgot to put that word in. No longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. Did you get that? What Christ did on the cross was the love of God. For God so loved the world, he gave us his only begotten son. It's the love of Christ that brought reconciliation. And with this reconciliation, that we who live no longer live for ourselves. It's like Paul saying in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I no longer live in the flesh, but in the spirit. I no longer live for myself, I live for Christ. That is the power of the gospel working in the life of someone who's been transformed. Your life changes. And that is the reason for reconciliation. Now, let me get into the theology before we look at, at some of the application. I hear often from too many Christians that when you talk about the grace of Jesus Christ, there's the caveat that says, now, now listen, if you're talking about the, the grace of Christ, that's just opening the door for someone to just go ahead and sin knowing that there's grace. Well, Paul dealt with that. We've, we've studied it in our class in Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we sin that grace abounds? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We were told in verse 2 and 3, right? That's what we're told. So what, what people think is that if we have the grace of God, that just opens a door for a license to sin. And that's the very opposite of what Paul is saying in verse 14 and particularly in verse 15. What we are told is that through the love of Christ, we are controlled by that love. In other words, let me paraphrase it. If you don't have the love of Christ, you're not being controlled by him. Does that make sense? Those that have little to be forgiven, they're not compelled to give their entire life to the Lord. But when you're controlled by the love of Christ, you no longer live for yourself. And your life looks very different. It looks like Jesus that's the power and the beauty of the gospel of reconciliation that's the reason for reconciliation you consider that when when sin came into this world what happened to mankind ultimately in the garden kicked out and God was making the means by which you could come back into the garden that you could have fellowship with God once again. That you could have reconciliation. But for what? So life could continue on as it had been ultimately had God conceived for us with him. And how is it that life was in the garden? It was perfect. Sinless. 
Look at what God told Adam and, and Eve. I mean, from the very beginning, man, tend and keep to the garden. I mean, there was work, there was productivity, there was praise, there was all things that made for a beautiful relationship, an enduring relationship. That is what we're talking about as the purpose for reconciliation. And this is what we have as a foretaste of the new heaven, if you will. You think about it. What you do in Christ and living in Christ for Christ and not for yourself is that very foretaste. And that's what we were just reading in the text here. And let's look at some of these things. If you go to, um, did I already pass the script? I'm not sure if I went over here. Okay, yes. Um, if you look at scriptures, look at what Jesus was teaching when he was saying the kingdom of God is near you. Think about what the kingdom of God looks like before sin. And you will see the teachings of Jesus very clearly. Whether it's the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are they who are meek. Why? What will they inherit? Look at the righteous. Look at those who are all that which you can see in Scripture as looking like the very nature of God. And you will see what life is like before sin. In Matthew chapter 5, remember it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say, you, say to you, Do not so much as lust after a woman. Well, what is that? A pure mind. It's a beautiful place to be when believers live like this. Or you have heard that it was said, You shall not call anyone fool or say raka. And, and he says, Listen. Don't even have hatred for them, because that would be like murder, right? Don't murder, don't hate. He says, not even in your heart. All those things that he goes on and talks about is a life found in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're told in verse 21, he said, ultimately, what happens is we are the righteousness of God in Christ. In him, that is. That's what happens when you live according to Scripture as one who has died to self and live for God. That is why I say over and over, very redundantly and on purpose, that everything we do is to glorify God. Everything. Now, when I say everything, I want you to think about everything the way Paul says, pray without ceasing. Does that make sense? <laughs> Because if I say everything, you're like, well, when I take my, my uh, bite of food, I'm supposed to glorify God. And, and Don't get that technical. I think we just live in a country, you have to always have these caveats. It's a mindset of you pray without ceasing. Our lives are used for the glory of God unto his glory. Everything we do, in word or deed, we do... Colossians 3, 16 and 17, we're told in his name, or 1 Corinthians 10, 31, unto his glory. That's what we have. And so our lives are ultimately transformed when, when we look at the fact that here we stand before a judge, we've been free and cleared from all charges. Now what? Now, what is it? We go on and live the way we had been before? No, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, our lives are being molded and shaped 
into the image of the one who died for me. That's how we live. That's a purposeful, intentional living. And that's what we have in Christ Jesus. That's what we see as very important. And with that in mind then, and next week I'm going to possibly take this into chapter 6. Where Paul, after saying, here's the reason for living a transformed life whereupon you've been reconciled to God. Now he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, as he continues his letter, therefore, do not receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, grace is not the license to sin. Grace is the license to live like God. Huge difference. I'm telling you, brethren, there is liberty. There is freedom found in the grace of Jesus Christ. Those are the words straight from Scripture, not made up in a pulpit. And when you have that, you are free to glorify and honor him. That's what we're told in Scripture explicitly. And we'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. The last thing I'm going to share, and this is just kind of a side note, and it's found in the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want you to look at this passage because we often use this for those we're trying to reach with the gospel. And I want you to see how it's used right here immediately in its text. Again, in chapter 6, verse 1, we then, as workers together with him, that is, we then, I believe the apostles, working together, or we as Christians, working together with him, with Jesus, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So he's saying to Christians, for he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. And after quoting the scripture, he says to his brethren at Corinth, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now or behold, today is the day of salvation. He's saying this to those who have been saved. Live like you're saved. Today's the day of salvation. Now live like it. I'm saying to you, brethren, if you're living like this world, you're not living like someone who has been reconciled to God. And I'm exhorting you, if you're living like this world, as the Apostle Paul said to the brethren at Corinth, then be reconciled to God and do not receive the grace of God in vain. Because what's been given to you? You have the opportunity to come back into the garden. Now live like it. That's a message of hope, brethren. That's a message of encouragement. I think too many of us as Christians, we live like this world. And I believe if we walk that that wide way, we're not showing evidence of discipleship. And the encouragement is to live like you would be convicted as a Christian. One who lives for the Lord and has died to self. Be convicted as a result. Now I want to say to those who have never been purchased by the blood of Jesus. If you believe that Jesus died for you. In other words, you are able then by the blood of Jesus. Through that belief and that confessing that he is the Christ. That he came to this world, he died for not only the whole world's sins, but yours specifically. And you want to turn away from this world? That's the idea of being reconciled. 
and the concept of repentance where reconciliation has taken place, then the invitation is for you. Jesus says, and I've said this every week, he who believes, believes that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and is baptized. That is, having died to that old man of sin so that you may be raised to walk in newness of life. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Simple gospel. The question is, do you want to be saved? That's what the apostles dealt with in Acts chapter 2 when he said, be saved from this perverse generation. And on that day, 3,000 souls were baptized in the Christ. That day, Jesus added to his church. And from then forth, daily, those who were being saved. That is your invitation. Now, the invitation is not some kind of ceremonious thing. We're talking about you coming to the Lord and being added by him to his kingdom. The kingdom where found in Christ, there is no sin. And if there's no sin, you can praise him. You can magnify his name. And you can go share good news with other people who have not yet received the glory of reconciliation. So there's your invitation. Right now, it's together we stand and sing.